In John chapter 15, uh, it maybe sounds like an odd text for uh, going into the Christmas season, but Jesus in every verse, (laughs) Jesus in every verse. John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit is taken away, and every branch that beareth fruit he purged, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye, are ch- now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, Jesus in every verse is a declaration that from the beginning of time, God has been involved in this whole process of creation and creating life and sustaining life and giving help and hope and love to all of us. So he is intertwined into every aspect of the Bible. And these are the truths, I guess, that for this Christmas season has been the uh, main theme, is that Jesus didn't just show up. You know, he just didn't show up 2,000 years ago and suddenly claim to be born of a virgin and that he, you know, he was the Messiah for Israel. We have all of the scriptures from the very beginning of Genesis right on up to the birth of Christ and then through the New Testament how that, how that Christ is alive and that the life of Christ is the life of the church and how that he is the vine of which only life flows through him to each aspect and each branch. So when we think of the birth of Christ, it is not the beginning. The birth of Christ is not the beginning. It is the beginning of Jesus and his humanity, but it is not the beginning of Jesus. And whenever we look at the word, the the word that God has, the word made flesh and dwelt among us, when we look at the scriptures, it's how that the scriptures become part of our life, part of our thinking, part of our knowledge. You know, some people like to read and, you know, like to read history and things like that, to read historical facts and read about people of bygone years, and that history is good. It brings great knowledge and brings us some understanding. It was um, the mayor of New York, I forget his name, at nine, on 9-11, whenever the uh, attacks came on uh, the Twin Towers, he was reading the life of Winston Churchill and how that Churchill had brought England through World War II. And it, it was just, it's, you, know, he, you know, at the time he was talking, when I heard him speak about it, he, he spoke within the context of how that he don't know if he could have handled it the way he did and rallied the people of New York and, the, and of the world, of the nation, around, the, you know, around uh, rallying them to carry on had he not been reading how Churchill, Winston Churchill did that with England. And so in our lives, there are many things going on around us and there are many opportunities to come before us and we wonder, is God in this? Is God part of this? Well, even in the valley of the shadows, God is there. 
even in the valley of your contemplations and your thinking and, you know, your wondering, remember God is here. That God is with me. He is entwined in my life in such a way that sometimes we don't even recognize that he is there. And we <laughs> write it off as perchance, by chance, certain things have happened. We look at things in a certain way and we say, well, don't know where that came from. Well, we do know it is Christ and he is involved in our life. Paul and Silas, whenever they were in prison, it was a very trying time. You know, in the last few, few uh, months, this has also been one of those verses that I've been, I, I contemplate on and think over. Paul and Silas in prison, and they are in prison for their profession of faith in Christ. They sing praises to God. The earthquake comes and opens the prison doors, and they're set free. And then you have Paul in 2 Timothy, where he writes to Timothy and says, bring me my parchments, bring me my coat. He's in prison, he's cold, and he wants to write. And he knows that his time has finished. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And why isn't he, did he forget the name of the song? <laughs> did he forget what was going on, that he can't replicate what happened at another time in his life? And you see, because we can't replicate something doesn't mean that one of the experiences is wrong. It means that God is with me and that there's a different season and there's a different timeline and there's a different purpose in what is happening now than what happened before. And so God is involved with this. We think of Christmas. <laughs> what was Christmas like for you when you were a child? What is Christmas like now? They're two different seasons. It's easy for us to see the difference in the seasons because of the different times of our life and where we see ourselves. And so it is the same process in our, in our faith in that there are different seasons of our time, there's different seasons of our faith. But the season of belief, the season of prayer, the season of giving our life to Christ only excels, it only continues to grow because in our life there is a need, a spiritual need, to change us from the inside out. Our faith doesn't change us from our head downward our faith changes us from our heart upward we don't check our brain at the door to have faith <laughs> we don't sing just certain songs to have faith we have experiences in life and they all kind of come together and fit together to give us life and to give us hope and that the vine would bear fruit you know <laughs> there are When the wind blows really strong, you're outside in a windstorm, and I was watching one of those hurricane chaser things, you know, and the wind came, and they, the, the thing got, the hurricane chaser vehicle got flipped over, and it looked like a crushed pineapple after the storm had gone through. But whenever you think of the wind, why is it that we don't fly? <laughs> We're not aerodynamically correct. <laughs> so the, the aspect of the wind doesn't cause everything to fly but you know what if we put wings on our lives that are not arms but wings because we know that 
what happens in the wing of an airplane is that they are adjusted and, and curved in such a way that it goes through the air and it creates lift. <laughs> so the very thing that would cause uh, a plane to stay on the ground, its heaviness and its wingspan, that, but when propelled through the, through the air in a certain way, and with a certain lift on the wing, it causes it to rise. And the same thing happens in our life that whenever we are faced with difficulties, with the winds of adversity, with the difficulties of life, we find that in our faith, our faith is, is shaped in such a way that when the wind of adversity, in, we encounter it, it causes us to lift. It causes us to see things from a different perspective. You see, chickens scratch and peck. Eagles soar. And, you know, yeah, always the great thing about an eagle is that uh, they very seldom flap their wings, you know. Why? It's because they know how to use the wind to lift them. And, they, and, and I, I forget the statistics, but eagles have been seen at extreme altitudes. Extreme altitudes. And they just take the current of the storm and rise above it, and they can, some of them have flown above the storm, up where the, up where the plains are at, and it's like, how can they exist up there? And I always wondered, if they're that high in the atmosphere, and they're caught in the jet stream, how do they know their way back? And um, one thing I heard was that, that when a young eagle is being, is birthed, and is in a certain location, that its eyes are like barometers, and it, can, and it sets to a certain place where it feels comfortable. And whenever it is away from that comfort zone, when it is flying away, it knows the direction home. By the, as one would say, the pain it has in its eye, but by its ability to what it feels and senses in its brain and in its mind and in its eye. And we have the sense enough to look to God whenever we find ourselves in the adversity of life, that whenever we find ourselves blown with the adversities, that we are part of the branch, we are part of a divine connection that God has established for our life, and that we might see things from a different perspective, that we might soar in a place that generally the storm would have driven lesser birds to the ground. God has given us the ability to look and to see and to know what direction is home. Our direction home is always in Christ. And in Christ we always have hope. And in hope we have the encouragement to go on. So we find that God is there with us, helping us. He is divine. And he says, I am divine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from you, you can do nothing. Sometimes we see things and try to uh, fix them ourselves. Did you ever try to fix something you couldn't fix and really made it worse? Yeah, so. I never did, but in case you ever know, no. <laughs> the only person who's never fixed anything and made it worse is the person who's never tried to fix something, you know? So, we, we are looking at this, and God is saying that in the spiritual life, in our spiritual life, there is only one fix, <laughs> There's only one fit, and it is Jesus Christ. 
And that Jesus Christ is the fit for the soul of every man because he is the breath of life for every person. That in creation, God spoke the world into existence. And every aspect of creation he spoke, but for man and woman, for the making of man, he breathed into man the breath of life and became a living soul. That living soul is what lives in each one of us with the breath of life. So Jesus is God's way, and without him we can do nothing. And God with us is that nothing is impossible. And with God's creation, and that with the separation, you think of it, and I think of it in the context that when Adam and Eve were in the garden, God was there, and the intent was for God to be with them as friend with friend. And we know that sin separated them. But from the very beginning, there was Jesus. And there was this, as he was part of creation and spoke the world into existence, that, that the, the oneness that God wants to have with us was broken whenever we disobeyed his command. You see, we were created to be in fellowship and friendship with God. And sin, that deliberate separation of our life from God, has given us a strained relationship and a mixed understanding of what God desires. And sometimes we uh, take our most valent efforts of being a human parent and, and being a, a, a human likeness, and we say, well, this is what God wants, and God is angry because that's why this happened and if God was easily angered none of us would be here <laughs> and that God's desire is for us to find his peace and his presence so that we can live our life connected to the vine and in Galatians chapter 4 it says but when the set time had fully come God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship, to sonship. You see, we were grafted into the vine, Jesus calls us. Paul calls us being adopted into the family. That there is power, there is blessing, there is trust, there is hope that we are with God. And even, even Psalm 80 uh, pleads, with, uh, pleads in verse 12, Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Uh, boars from the forest ravage it, and the creatures of the field feed on it. Return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine. The root of your right hand has planted. The sun you have raised up for yourself. So it is this, this whole idea of creation, this whole idea of oneness and being grafted and being adopted is something that God has instigated. We didn't, we didn't come up with this idea. God did. And God instigated it in our lives, and that brings us, in my sequence of thoughts here, brings us to the John chapter 1, that it states that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So one translation has it, before the beginning began, there was God. <laughs> So before there was a creation where time is something that we have associated with creation, God was there. And what we have there is his word 
speaking life to a planet, to a place, to things, to people, the breath of life, his word. Then we find that Jesus is the word of God. The word made flesh and dwelt among us. And this is in John here, he tells us this, um, that, well, we'll find out a little later. But anyhow, he tells us that, that the word came and made us alive. You know, God spoke the word and then the word spoke to us. And Jesus is the word of life. So when you read the scriptures, okay, when you read the scriptures, whenever you pray, our prayers are initiated, I think, by the scriptures, by the word of God. That we make our requests known to God. That's what we're told to do. That we believe the word that is written. And, and, I, and this is where I think it's so hard for us to realize that we are still creating that the word that God has spoken to our hearts and spoken to our lives causes us to pray, like for families that are in need, for things that are, we bring these requests to you. Now, we don't understand why things happen the way they do, and certainly we can't explain life and death and recovery for one and sickness for another. We can't explain Paul and Silas in prison singing songs and then Paul dying in prison. We don't know that except for the seasons of life. And so in our lives, we pray the word. And some people believe that you are creating your life by the words that you speak. That you are creating your surroundings and you are creating your future by what you say. Not only by what you believe, because if your belief doesn't affect your actions and your words, then your belief means nothing. How many remember this illustration? For those of you who weren't here, it's been a long time since I've used this one. How many believe that I would give you $5? Yes, that's that one right there. There's a woman. I see that hand. How many believe I'll give you 10? No, that's not what this is about. <laughs> how many believe I'll give you 20? No. All right. How many believe that I'll give you money? $5. How many believe it? All right. Now, those of you who know this, you just kind of have to hold back, okay? All right, does everybody believe that I'll give them $5? Lois, do you believe I'll give you? Okay, how about that lady beside you? Do you believe that I'll give you $5? Either one of them. Do you believe I'll? Huh? Yeah. She said no. Oh, we've got an unbeliever in the church. <laughs> okay. How many believe I give you five dollars? All right, everybody believes. Okay, not except for two. Okay, uh, Ed, do you believe? You're a skeptic. No wonder God gets fed up with us. He can be right in front of us, waving it in our nose, and would say, "I don't really think you'd give that to me." <clears throat> that was our Sunday school lesson. This morning, Ahaz, uh, Isaiah told Ahaz to ask for a sign, and Ahaz says, oh, I don't want to be presumptuous again. Ahaz just didn't want to believe in God, you know? And that's when Isaiah says, he gives him a sign, a virgin shall conceive. So that's how we have that prophecy in Isaiah. But back to who believes? All right, do you really believe? 
All right, you really believe? You really believe? Come on down. Yeah, she's coming. There we go. Now, what's different about her belief? Stay here for a moment. (laughs) What's different about her belief? She acted upon it. It doesn't matter what you believe. It belie- what matters is how you act upon your beliefs. Because none of you have the five hours but her. <laughs> See? And that's where our faith is. Thank you. No, you can keep it. No, it's all yours. That's for those skeptics. <laughs> yeah, I need Brian. I use that so much I pull open my wall and they be jumping over the pew to come get my money. But you see, unless our beliefs take us to actions, nothing changes. And so the word that God places within our heart, that whenever we pray for things and we believe things, we have to also act upon things. Uh, There is an action to our belief. And see, we are still creating See, I, I, think, I don't believe that creation is over because God is still creating whenever you have hope in your heart. Whenever you are believing and asking for God to heal or to help or to restore or to comfort, to prepare, to open a way where there is no way, that we are looking for the open door. We are looking for the answer to our prayer. We are believing, so therefore we are in action towards what we are believing. Amen. Thank you. So, so whenever we look at this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is, of course, is the Word made flesh, is Jesus. And verse 2, verse 2, verse 2, where is it here? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God, verse 3. All things were made by him, and without him was nothing, was not anything made that was made. (sighs) So without Christ, nothing happens. Even in creation, without Christ, nothing happens. He is the Word of life, the Word made flesh, I like, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Uh, Beth Midler sang the song years ago, Wind Beneath My, Ling- wind beneath my Wings. <laughs> you are the wind beneath my wings. See, there has to be a breeze or a propelling or a draft or whatever the eagle would use to jump out, as it were, off of the, off of the, out of the nest, off of the cliff, and that there are some birds that are giant, giant birds that can only fly when the wind is blowing because they are too big and too heavy to lift themselves by flapping of their wings. Sometimes in our life, when the difficulties are so bad and so difficult that it is, it is in these difficulties that we are actually finding our wings. We're actually finding what it takes for us to soar and to use what would 
drive us to the ground or keep us from ever getting off the ground is actually what we use to take us higher. John, in this, in this verse, in these verses here, John is the disciple that is considered the closest of the 12 to Jesus. And it is, it is in that relationship with Jesus that John says, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It is the grace and truth of God's word that comes into our life. And in the, in the picture of the Last Supper, and the word picture that we have, the, the photographs that we have are kind of missing, but uh, <laughs> that's a little joke. There, <laughs> that the, the, the word picture that we have of Jesus and John is that John is a close friend of Jesus, and in the agony of what they feel is going on at that time, but not knowing what it is, John lays his head on the shoulder of Jesus. He feels that tension. He feels that something is going wrong here. And it's John who writes about being so close with Jesus that in, in some versions it says like, and, and, you know, when, when Moses um, says to God, God tells Moses to go back to, e to Egypt and set the people free and, you know, Charlton Heston says, I am, who shall I say has sent me? And from the voice comes, I am that I am has sent you. <laughs> you know? And you always wonder, what's that I am that I am? Well, the I am that I am of Genesis is the I am of John. Because I am means to be or to just the word be. And John says, we held, I held, be. <laughs> I held the I am. And I held his glory because he was my friend. And he was the one who came to us to save us from our sins. And it is John then who also talks about how that the word became flesh. In Matthew and Luke, we have those accounts where the Holy Spirit will hover over Mary and she will conceive and she will have a child. And it is this hovering over, we spoke about it in our Sunday school class, that the hovering over of Mary was like the covering of the Holy Spirit over her life. And Mary, how are you going to tell your, hus your, your espoused husband that you have a child, but you didn't know a man? How are you going to explain it to your family, to your friends? And Mary was just at peace with this hovering of the Spirit over her life, that God was going to take care of her and her conceived child. And that's where John has that same imagery in our lives. And here, as you read John 1, you have this imagery of, of, of be, of I am, of, of Jesus the living word hovering over our lives and the hovering of that word over our lives affects how we think, affects how we feel, affects what we say. 
And so as the hovering of the Spirit over our life, there are some things that God has spoken to your life that are so real and so personal. It's like inside of us there's this hope that comes to life, that there is a life and there is hope for me in all of my valleys and, and, and woes and whatever, there is hope for me because God loves me. And the hovering of that spirit over our life is what gives us hope and what causes us to believe. You see, in our belief must prompt us to actions. And if we are active, we will speak and we will create. We will create we will create a life that we want to live with God, with others. And we will create it out of love and out of the reflection of what Jesus Christ is in the scriptures, we will reflect that in our lives. So the birth of Jesus, <laughs> the birth of Jesus was in a town called Bethlehem. And it was with a woman who was a virgin, spoken of by the prophet 750 years prior to its happening, it came to pass. How many things have you prayed for that haven't happened yet? How many things in your heart that you haven't shared with people, but yet inwardly you've been praying for and asking God for? And inside of you there's this life, and there's this hope, and that is the place where our belief and our prayers meet and continue to bring us to an action of God. This hasn't happened yet, but I believe it will happen. It hasn't happened yet, but I know it will happen because down in my heart, there's something that just gets excited about the life that I have in you. And that's Christmas. Christmas is about an excitement, a belief, and a hope, not in presents or people that are in some guy in a white beard. It is about life inside of us that brings us to a place and says, God, here it is. It's me. Here's all my failures. Here's all my success. I give it to you. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my complacency. Forgive me of my not understanding. And come into my heart and give me life. Bring excitement to my heart again. Bring excitement to my heart again that I know that I will live with you forever and now I want to live <clears throat> with others in hope and in life and in peace. Amen? Let's stand, shall we? Jesus, I confess my sin. Say this in your heart. Jesus, I confess my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to give me life. I ask you to give me the excitement of life and expectancy. I thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. And that the greatest present I can receive this year or at any time of my life the greatest present that I receive is you, the gift of life that keeps on giving. Amen? God, thank you for this day and your blessings upon my life. 
and upon the lives of those around me. Amen? Turn to somebody and say, you know, it's a good day to be here with you. (laughs) 